Dare You to Move, new teaching series. I am excited you're here this morning. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 12 and 13, and then I'm going to have you go to Acts after that, chapter 2, verses 38 and 42. Dare You to Move, 2.5, Unleashing the Power of God. This is part one of a five-part series. This weekend's titled Genuine. We have just finished the most successful year in the history of Desert Breeze, and we are really excited about that. And we can't help but think that uh, 2015 is going to be even a better year for us. We're excited about where God is leading us. This verse, it's on your notes, on the top of your notes, 2 Chronicles 16.9. This verse is not only our theme verse for this series, but it explains what God is up to and wanting to do in and through our lives. In fact, let me read through this verse, and then I'm gonna have you read it with me. So let me read uh, by myself. First of all, Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless. It does not mean sinless. It means fully devoted toward him. And this is from the ESV. So what I want you to do is I want you to read this nice and loud. We're going to use the word blameless, how it is said in the ESV. So you guys ready to read this? It's a powerful verse. It's a very significant verse, especially as we head into 2015 of what God wants to do in our life. It gives us really the heart of God. You guys ready? Here we go. One, two, three. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him, fully devoted to him. God is looking throughout the whole earth. This is fascinating. This is really a fascinating verse. Looking throughout the whole earth to look for those whose hearts are fully devoted to him because he wants to show his power in their life and through their life. Now, now this is what's... uh, really captivating about the gospel. You're going to hear a lot about the gospel through this series. Because I, don't, I think that for some of us, the gospel may be, be, it may be clear to our minds but not real to our hearts. And I want that to be driven down deep into your heart. But this idea here of what the Bible is conveying through this verse is that God doesn't meet us halfway. This is not a halfway thing. He comes the whole way and he pours his favor upon the undeserved. And uh, this is his preemptive love that changes everything about us. So you can see the heart of God. He's looking throughout the whole earth. He's aggressively pursuing and coming after us because he's looking for hearts that are fully devoted to him so that he can show his power in their lives and through their lives. Now that's what we've experienced here at Desert Breeze and we want to continue to experience it and we want to help you to experience that in your life also as it relates to becoming fully devoted to Christ. We'll be looking at the 5G process uh, throughout these, these five weeks. Let me give you a little bit of the background here. The context is that Asa, king of Judah, relied on the king of Syria and not on God. Therefore, Judah lost the battle with Syria. And because of their lack of faith, they're not being fully devoted to God. From this point on, Judah will suffer wars. Nothing but conflict because they failed to trust God and they trust man over God and God is saying, wait, 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 listen to me. I'm going throughout the whole earth because I want to show my power in your behalf. I'm seeking, I'm looking, I'm pursuing. And so uh, certainly a, a wonderful verse. It's, uh, I'd like to pray that verse as we kick off this teaching series. 
I think it's a wonderful verse for us uh, embarking upon this new teaching series. And uh, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. And then we'll uh, get through these notes and, and look at our text. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. We love your presence. And um, in your presence, God, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. And, and God, what the, this verse tells us, what you're speaking to us through through this theme verse, is that we don't have to overcome your reluctance, but, but just lay hold of your willingness, your desire, your passion, that your eyes, your eyes are going to and fro. You're omniscient, you're all-knowing, and you're omnipresent throughout the whole earth to, to give strong support. You're, you're omnipotent, you're all-powerful, and you want to show your power in and through our lives because of your amazing grace and love for us, those whose hearts are blameless, those who are fully devoted to you. So God, teach us how to be fully devoted to you so that we can unleash your power in and through our lives for your glory and our deep and durable joy in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Okay, take a look at the notes here. Dare you to move. I want to take you through a quick survey here. Uh, this isn't totally exhaustive, but it gives you some of the Bible characters, this whole idea, this challenge. And I, as I shared last week, I feel a little bit that this is kind of like that uh, brave heart, William Wallace on his horse in front of all of the troops there, the Scottish troops as they were going to take on the English oppressors. And so this is a kind of that feel that God said it to, dare you to move to Noah. Take a look at your notes. God was grieved at the wickedness of man on earth and said, I'm going to put an end to all people. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. He walked with God and God told him to build an ark. Genesis 6. He said it to Abraham, leave your country. And go to the land I will show you, and I will bless you to be a blessing to the world. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We talked about Moses last week in the four resolutions for our lives as we headed into 2015. Moses, I am sending you to bring my people out of Egypt, out of slavery. Exodus 3.10. And then we see it also with Joshua. God said it to Joshua. I dare you to move. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land, the promised land. The promised land, Old Testament, is a picture of New Testament, fullness of life that we have in Christ, land of milk, strength, honey, satisfaction. God wants to bring strength into our life. He wants to satisfy our souls with his presence. So that's a picture of that. David, you guys know King David, Israel's greatest leader of all times, because he was a man after God's own heart who did everything God wanted him to do. Acts 13, 22 makes that very clear. And then we also see this, that God said it to the disciples. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, Mark 1, 17. And then we have it here with the first century church in the book of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, you will be my martyrs. You will be so captivated by, by who I am and what I've done for you that you'll be willing to give your life for me throughout the world, Acts 1, 8. And God says it to us today, dare you to move. That's the challenge that we have before us here 
heading into 2015. Dare you to move to a life that is fully devoted to Jesus Christ. That's your fill in the blank. Fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Now, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, five times we have the great commission. We have the challenge. Dare you to move. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Demonstration, proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I put one of them right there. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus says before he ascends to heaven, uh, these are our marching orders. He's saying, hey, listen, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth, so therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that speaks of conversion. So it's more than just getting people across the line, making it a confession of faith in Jesus, but it's helping them to find their completeness and contentment in Jesus Christ, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then notice here, here's the power. Here's this idea of the promise of, of his power in our life, unleashing the power of God. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So you've got that combination of, of full devotion to Christ and his power being unleashed in our life, and we see it throughout Scripture. Now, here's the bottom line of what Desert Breeze is all about. When we started Desert Breeze in my home a number of years ago, in my living room with 16 of us, this is what it was based on right here on the next thought on your notes. DBCC, Desert Breeze Community Church, is built with the underlying conviction, whatever the capacity for human sin and suffering the church has a greater capacity, there's your fill in the blank, has a greater capacity through the gospel for healing and wholeness. The gospel, the church has a greater capacity through the gospel for healing and wholeness. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's evident. The thief is alive and well on planet Earth. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But God invaded our pathetic plight with his presence. And he says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the what? Fullest, yeah. Quantity, quality. That in the midst of our pain and suffering, he invades our life. We can have his presence that, that transcends whatever we may be experiencing. And we can do it in such a way that it brings glory to him. That's the idea here. Look at the next verse. Romans 1.16 is the other uh, verse as it relates to this greater capacity found in the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is Paul. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now, you may be sitting out there saying, okay, okay, but you don't understand what kind of sin I've been involved in. Um, maybe not unless you sit down and tell me about it, but I'll guarantee you I've been around a long time, I've been around a lot of people, and I know my own sinfulness, and I, I'm here to tell you that the gospel gives us a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Whatever your sin is, the gospel gives us a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Yeah, but you don't understand the pain and the, and the suffering and the abuse, how people have sinned against me, and I'm having a hard time getting over that. Listen to me. The gospel gives us a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. No matter what you've been through, the gospel gives us a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. You don't have any idea, Pastor Ray, that this job is killing me. The gospel has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. That's a fact. That is a fact. Yeah, but you have no idea the, the difficulty that, I, that I'm experiencing with... Uh, with my family, oh my goodness, this marriage is, is killing me. The gospel has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. 
But you don't know the pain and the, the disease I have to grapple with day in and day out. It doesn't ever seem to go away. I'm struggling with cancer. The gospel has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. See, we have good news to, to bring to this world. That's what drove me. I saw the brokenness. When I was, a, when I was on, in work construction, I was on the fire department, paramedic, I saw the brokenness out there. Yeah, and I, I appreciate what the fire department does, and yet there was something that began to work in my life. I realized that what people need more than anything is the gospel, because the gospel is a greater capacity for healing and wholeness, regardless of what we're going through. So let me ask you this. What are you, what are you working through? What are you struggling with? What's the trials of your life? What's the temptations that you're trying to overcome? Just think about it just for a minute. Now, I'm here to tell you that the gospel gives us a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. I mean, it's wonderful. That's, what, that's the basis of this church, is to point people to Jesus, to help them to understand and encounter the gospel. Now, over the next five weeks, my prayer is that the gospel would not just be clear to the mind, but it would be real to the heart. It would revolutionize your life. It will change your life completely. And next week, we talk about how it really changes our life. I'm going to talk a little bit about that this, uh, this morning as it relates to that first G, genuine Christian. And so, whatever you're going through, whatever the difficulty might be, the gospel gives us a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. The next point on your notes, the church is the hope of the world, Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I'm, I'm building my church and the gates of what? What kind of, of hell will not prevail? All hell may break loose in your life, but it won't prevail. It won't overwhelm you because you will have his presence, his power, his peace. You have the, the capacity of the gospel that brings greater healing and wholeness to your life, no matter what you're going through. Now, this is what full devotion to Christ looks like. Um, I, I kind of wrote it out here, kind of a summary form of that. This is people radically devoted to Christ. That's G1. That's a grow, uh, genuine Christian. That's what we're talking about today. Next week, we'll talk about a growing Christian, relentlessly passionate to grow in Christ, irrevocably committed to serving one another for Christ. That's the third G. So if you're genuine, you're going to grow. If you're growing, you're going to be giving. Just a natural progression. And then the fourth G is contagiously dedicated to reaching those outside of Christ. That's G4. And then what are you motivated by? You're, you're motivated by for God's glory, not our glory. Now, now listen to me. This is really important. This is not, this is not a restrained heart motivated out of fear and pride. This is a, a heart that has been transformed because you are smitten, you are overtaken, you are overcome by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And you're never the same as a result of that. So there's a major difference. And what, what you'll notice is that, and one of the reasons why we don't pass the plate here is because we don't appeal to you to give based on fear and pride. It will always be, it will, we'll do the best we can. The default mode of the human heart is to kind of go back into moralism and to motivate people out of fear and pride, but it will always be your love for God because that's what ultimately transforms your life. Genuine Christians are growing Christians, are giving Christians, are going Christians throughout the world, all for God's glory. And it's, uh, that's, that's what motivates, that's what drives us ultimately. And notice this, when you do that, there is an unleashing of God's power in and through our lives. That's what's, what we've experienced right here at Desert Breeze. It's amazing. I've got a front row seat and I see it. That's where I, I can say it confidently. The gospel gives us a greater capacity for healing and wholeness regardless of what we're going through. 
That's a fact. I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. What are you having to deal with? He's bigger. He's better. He's stronger. He can help you. He will rescue you. He loves you. That's a fact. Now, here's the campaign purpose. Um, twofold, to inspire DB family to more fully devoted uh, to Christ, to become more fully devoted to Christ in taking steps of faith in the 5G discipleship process. So this is kind of a punch list and we'll work through each of these throughout the week. By the way, I teach a class, kind of all roads lead through this class uh, on Tuesday nights, twice a year. It's called Game of Life. Most folks probably here have gone through this class. How many have gone through this class before? Show of hands. Yeah, a lot of folks. I would encourage you to take this class. If you ever want to oversee folks here, if you want to lead a small group or anything like that, uh, oversee a ministry, you have to go through that class. And you also need to go through one other class. It's called SLAM, Servant Leader, Servant Leader and Mentoring Class. You know, it's kind of necessary for you to do those two classes and then kind of hang out with us for a while so we can get to know you. And then from there, we'll see what happens, but that's an important class, and I go into more detail in that class. It's uh, Tuesday nights, eight weeks, 6.30 to 8.30, and we, we spend the first couple weeks just dealing with really hard questions. We get a lot of people that don't know the Lord that come into this class, because there's, there's questions sometimes people are struggling with, such as, how do I even know there is a God? We deal with that. Is it rational to believe in Jesus? Is it rational to believe in the Bible? How do we know this is God's word? And is it rational to believe in a God who allows suffering? So the first two weeks, we just deal with those questions, see if we can get over those hurdles, and then from there, we begin to walk through the 5G process of full devotion to Christ. And so I would invite you to take that class. You can still sign up. We kick it off this Tuesday night. But that's the first thing. We want to challenge you to see an increase in your faith in 2015, unlike you've ever experienced before, so that there can be an unleashing of God's power in and through your life. Here's the next thing that we're wanting to do through this campaign. Twofold, second one, is together raising money for the purpose of development and enhancement of our church home to its fullest capacity to better reach seekers and build believers to full devotion to Jesus Christ. In your bulletin, there's one of these brochures. Pull this brochure out, and I want you to look on the back side of the brochure just very quickly. I just want to kind of highlight some of the stuff that's on here just to show you what we've been able to accomplish by God's grace here. And you notice on the back side where it says timeline, you guys have that in front of you? It's got a timeline. It says phase one. Notice the red box. Completed. Check that off the list. We did that one. That was back in 2006. Raised money for the purchase of our new home to provide a safe place for unchurched people. Got that one. Phase two, October 2013. Completed. First part of that, that's phase 2.2. This is why we've got 2.5. Dare you to move 2.5. So we purchase begin building and move into our new home. Here we are. So that's completed. So we've completed that first one, second one. Now we've come to the second phase, which is 2.2. We want to finish building out our entire 36,000 square feet. Now, by the way, if I told you this story, and many of you have heard the story, how we got this building, it like fell in our, into our lap by divine providence. Uh, the story is amazing in itself. And we're, we're the kind of uh, church, and we've got a board of elders that, are, that love Jesus unbelievably and love this church and don't want us to get into debt over our head, and we were very wise, and it took us a while to really look for property, and so there's a number of things that begin to happen through that, but when, when we begin to look at the possibility of this, it was one of those things, oh my goodness, everybody on the board said, this is too good to be true, this is truly God. 
So even moving here, and so we own you know, half of this building. This is part of what we're building out, and we've got four leasers currently. They'll be out of here in a year by November. And so that's why we're wanting to start raising the money. We're going to do some redeveloping. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, we've, we've been packing this place out. I mean, it's just, uh, it's been crazy since we moved in here. We've, we have a growth rate of about 35, almost 40%. And it's, it's unparalleled to anything we've ever experienced. And it's just, it's been phenomenal. I don't know if you can look around in here, but there's this kind of, I mean, the Sunday morning services are packed out. We've hit our lid. We can't actually get any more people in here. And, and also, we want to upgrade our children's classrooms, and so we want to have the same quality for our children's classrooms as we have in here. So there's, we're, we're wanting to do all of that, but, but we want to be able to reach more folks here, and, and quite frankly, we can't do that. We've run out of room. We've got a little more room on Saturday night, but that, that service last night was pretty packed out. So I'm thinking, oh my goodness, because I was going to tell some of you to move to Saturday, but I'm not even sure if I can do that now. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. So we've hit our lid, and there's this thing called sociological uh, strangulation, and it's when you hit an 80%, when you have uh, 80% of your chairs are kind of filled up, it, it creates this kind of like, ah, oh, this place is too busy, let's go find another place. And so you kind of, people go somewhere else. We don't want that to happen. We want to reach as many people as we can here. So we're going to knock out these walls. We need to add a couple hundred more seats. We want to upgrade our children's classrooms. So there's going to be a redevelopment. It's going to cost us some money. It's going to cost us, uh, we're estimating about 1.5 million. We've got about 15,000 that's currently, uh, that it's being leased. And then we want to develop that. And we're going to have to rearrange a lot of stuff. But, but so far, part, part of this 2.5, DY, dare you to move, 2.5. We've already raised, listen to me, we've already raised $200,000. That's, that's pretty significant. Yeah, praise God. So we've been very careful with our resources. We're not just, we're, the way that we uh, manage the finances here, it's all gone through our board of elders. You can go online to, to find out who the board of elders are, but... Uh, they're doing a phenomenal job. Scott does a phenomenal job as our executive pastor. So I'm really excited about what God's doing and what God has for us in 2015 as we embark upon this. And so you can see phase three is pay off our debt as quickly as possible for increased capacity for ministry. So we're not, we don't want to get ourselves into major debt. You guys know we don't, we don't beat the sheep here, okay, to try to get more money out of you. We just don't do that. That's just, we, we, we don't pass the plate. We want you to give for the right reasons. We want God to put this on your heart. And so you're going to hear about it through this series, and then you might not hear about it too often. From time to time, we'll just kind of bring you up to speed. And, but, but we want God to work on your heart and, and for you to, to be generous from a heart that is captivated by who Jesus is. And so phase three is we're going to pay it off. Now, open it up real quick, and you can see. This will take you about a minute to, to read through this. Read through it on your own. By the way, if you're new with us, don't even look at this, okay? Don't even listen to anything that I'm saying as it relates to giving, because what we want from you more than anything is for you to get to know us, and we want to get to know you, and we want to earn your trust. That's first and foremost, so just hang out with us, and we just want to get to know you, and we hope that you get to know us, but this is for those of you that call this your church home. And you, and you really understand the vision and your life has been transformed by the gospel and you want to help as many people as possible to encounter Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll notice it says equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. Obviously, everyone doesn't have the ability to give the same amount. 
However, God does want all of us to make a genuine sacrifice for him. Second uh, Samuel puts it like this, 24, 24. I will not sacrifice to the Lord an offering that cost me nothing. And then giving by reason or by revelation, I can, we walk through that a little bit. You can give by reason or you can give by revelation. Revelation really has to do with what God puts on your heart. And believe me, if you go from reason to revelation, you can expect the miraculous to take place in your life when you begin to step out. That's part of this idea of 2 Chronicles 16.9. There's a five steps to making a commitment. You want to pray about it, have God put it on your heart. And by the way, this is over and above your regular and consistent giving to the general fund. Um, all this talk about money, if it bothers you, it could be it could be that your heart has yet to be invaded by the amazing grace of God because what happens when someone's heart has been invaded by the grace of God and really understands the gospel is that they become radically generous, not just with their time and their talents, but also with their treasure, their finances, because they want everybody to experience what they've experienced. So that just, just, so if you're kind of struggling with that a little bit or whatever, I understand. I understand, but, but man, I want your heart to be invaded by the gospel of Christ first and foremost, more than anything. And, uh, and so what happens when people are radically generous, here's kind of what happens to them. They, they begin tithing. Tithing is 10%. We teach a 10-10-80 rule. First 10% goes to God. Second 10% goes to yourself. Because you need to have about three to six months worth of expenses in the bank. Dave Ramsey talks about that. A lot of the, you know, the financial experts out there, but this is kind of what they teach. So that you have something to kind of rely on if you lose your job or anything like that. That's just wise. And then, so you got tithing, which is a regular, every time you get paid, you're giving regularly and consistently. By the way, we, there's no way that we could do what we do if it hadn't been for the regular generosity of the people that are part of this church. But you know what's so cool about it? You guys don't just tithe, you also give offerings. Offerings are over and above, and we support a lot of missions efforts here. We see a lot of things happening, so this would be in that offerings. And then the Bible also teaches alms. So you got tithes, offerings, alms. And that's when you can really see your faith increasing. This is something, fortunately, I was taught growing up. So I did this before I got married. And then when I got married, my wife was willing to do this too. And we have done it, you know, our whole married life. And so we're currently giving. We've been already giving to this 2.0 effort. And now we're going to ask God, what does he want us to do as it relates to this uh, 2.5 effort to increase what we're already, already giving over and above our tithes? over and above what we're already giving in offerings to support missions. And so that's all part of it. That's the second one as you look, what, what amount does he put on your heart? And then you walk through the questions here, making sure you're doing it appropriately. Number three, number four, number five. You can read that on your own. I don't need to read it to you or for you. And, so, and then you got the card here to kind of give you how much over and above for the next three years and how much that will be and as we raise the money. So, hey, it's a big task, but God's a bigger God gives us a, a greater capacity, and so I know that uh, I'm going to hear some phenomenal testimonies of people that have, we're not afraid to, to move and allow God to use them. Now, let's get back to the study here, and, and we'll talk throughout. By the way, the two best texts, uh, this idea, maybe you struggle with the whole idea of tithing. Tithing is commanded in the Old Testament, but Jesus commanded it in the New Testament in Matthew 23:23. But the two best chapters in the New Testament for generous giving is found in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. 
And in chapter 9, verse 7, it says this. Don't give grudgingly or under compulsion. See, that's, he's saying don't give like that. Like, money, that's all they ever talk about. I don't want to give, whatever. He said don't do that because God loves what kind of a giver? Cheerful. Yeah, cheerful. Literally, the word means hilarious. Isn't that crazy? That's, a, that's an interesting word, hilarious? Yeah, yeah, people who encounter the grace of God are hilarious in their giving. They're just opening up their, their lives. Yeah, of course. Yeah, as much as he has blessed me. And, and, and in a minute, you're gonna get what I'm talking about. Now, let's continue on. So fullness of life and full devotion to Christ are one and the same pursuit, John 10.10. 10. Now, this is what I discovered a number of years ago, and it was just the most delightful thing it was an amazing truth, is that God's glory and my joy are one and the same pursuit. Fullness of life and full devotion to Christ are one and the same pursuit. In other words, why do you exist? Why are you here? Westminster Catechism, the first question, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. When you pursue his glory, Listen to me, that's when you find the deepest satisfaction in your heart and soul because that's what you were created to do. So that's, that's phenomenal. That's awesome. So every day when your feet hit the floor, what are you trying to do? Trying to find your deepest satisfaction in God because that's when you bring him the most glory in all of your life. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, do it all to his glory, to put him on display. Now, a genuine Christian, here's the first of the 5G process. A genuine Christian is committed to Christ and to a church family, G1. Now, this is not a restrained heart out of fear and pride, but a, but a transformed heart, sacrificial love of Christ. And this is also about faith. Remember, we talked about faith last week. Faith is truth about God coming into our head, entering our head, igniting our heart, outworking through our hands. So this is kind of the third phase of, of faith, this commitment. Of course, I want to follow him. Look what he's done for me. So it, it, faith is content, because oftentimes people say, well, I believe in God, so what is it that you believe about God? And most people can't articulate it, so I say, well, what, does, does any of that stir your heart? <laughs> and does it move you to, to behave maybe a little bit differently in your response to, to life's difficulties and struggles? It should, because that's what true faith is, head, heart, hands, content, conviction, commitment. Here's what a commitment to Christ is. Okay, now we finally got to our text, okay. It's about time, Pastor Ray. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. Let me read the verses here. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How many are familiar with that verse right there? It's a, it's a, it's a very familiar verse. So receive and believe are one and the same. I believe he's talking really about repentance. Receive, believe, his name, person and work of Christ, he gave the right to become children of God, adoption, repentance and adoption, two big ideas here. Notice it's all the work of God, verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, this is what happens to hearts that have uh, been invaded by the amazing grace of God. This is what first comes to mind is the next point on your notes. I am more sinful than I ever dared to think. That's a common phrase you hear around here a lot. You probably should have it memorized by now because it's just really important to keep in mind. 
When you begin to hear the gospel and an accurate understanding of the gospel, as the truth of who Jesus is comes into your mind and begins to stir your heart, there should be this conviction, and you begin to recognize, I'm more sinful than I ever dared to think. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the, the playing ground is pretty level in front of the cross, so that's all of us. So how could we ever, anybody, by the way, if you ever get around people that have this holier-than-thou kind of an attitude, like I'm better than you, self-righteous, they don't understand the gospel. Because you and I were so sinful, Jesus had to die for us. That's the, the parenthesis part. I was so sinful, Jesus had to die for me. There was no other way for me to have a relationship with God and to go to heaven for all eternity. And so, so I am more sinful than I ever dared to think. I was so sinful, Jesus had to die for me for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We failed to, we kind of live for our own glory. That's our, we're sinners by nature and by choice. We, we tend to put our, our love, our trust, our hope in anything other than God. And of course our our inordinate desires and emotions betray us. What is it that dominates your thoughts, stirs your deepest emotions, moves you to action? If it's not the glory of God, it's probably your own glory or something else. And so that's, that's what we do. That's who we are. By nature and by choice, we are sinners. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is amazing. So we deserve death, eternal separation from God, but he steps in and gives us a gift. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can just enter into it by faith in Jesus. And that's Romans, uh, Romans 6.23. So, so this should kind of eliminate any towering, any in, uh, superiority, any swagger, like, hey, look at us. Of course he's going to pick me. I'm, I'm pretty cool, and I've got it all together. Well, that's not why he picked you. He picked you because he picked you because of his love for you. You were lost. He rescued you. And here's the next point you need to understand. I am more loved than I ever dared to dream. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. And then Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. He loved me so much that he wanted to die for me. So this not only eliminates towering, but also cowering. It eliminates both the superiority, but also the inferiority. So there shouldn't be any swagger or any sniveling, you know, in, in our lives because God is for us and not against us. He loved me so much he wanted to die for me. Now, when you tell most people and there's a lot of people in churches who don't understand this. When you talk about the gospel, immediately they think of moralism. Oh, I've got to do these things and then maybe God will accept me. That's not the gospel. See, every religion, belief system, it would be in this category that the good are in, the bad are out. You've got to hit the list, and you hit the list, and you're in. If you don't, you're out. The gospel is that the humble are in, the proud are out. All you need is need. And you begin to recognize I'm more sinful than I ever dared to think, but I'm more loved than I ever dared to dream. And it creates this blessed self-forgetfulness. In other words, it's you become so overtaken by the beauty and the glory of Christ. It's not that you think less of yourself. You think of yourself less because you're so consumed with his glory and who he is that he lived the life we should have lived and died the death that we, we should have died. It's not good advice. Every other religion gives you good advice at what you must do. It's good news at what has been done for you to make you right with God. It's a done deal. It is finished. It is amazing. Now, let me illustrate that with uh, one of my favorite stories that I share in the game of life. You guys probably, if you watch the news, you knew this. Last Thursday, fourth anniversary of the Tucson shooting tragedy. How many remember that? Yeah. On January the 8th, 
2011, 22-year-old Jared Lee Loeffner shot 19 people, fatally wounding six. And uh, one of his victims, politician Gabby Gifford, remember her husband, the astronaut? Another victim who was fatally shot was a nine-year-old girl, Christina Taylor Green. Nine-year-old girl, Christina Taylor Green. I, I just want you to kind of think about that just for a moment. They named a, a Tucson park after her. They were so moved by her story and had such compassion. Now, I, I want to ask you just hypothetically to think through this. Put yourself in this story. Hypothetically, Loeffner was captured, convicted, and sentenced to execution. And you're the parents of this nine-year-old Christina Taylor Green. How do you think you would have felt? I have a little bit of a hint of that because I know people here in this fellowship that have lost their kids. And I'm telling you, it's devastating. It's a parent's worst nightmare. And so, as parents, you're still working through that, and yet, let's just say you're Christians, and you know that you need to forgive this Lofner, and so you're kind of working through that, and finally you've come to a place where, where you can forgive him, and he's on death row awaiting execution, so they arrange for you to go in there, and you talk with him. How many would say that would be really hard to go in there and tell him that you forgive him? You're a Christian, and when you think of how much God has forgiven you, that begins to overflow your life, and now that you're able to forgive him. Show of hands, would that be hard? Yeah, absolutely. Let's take it a little bit further. Let's just say that not only do you forgive him, but you have a son his age, and you've asked to make some arrangements for your son to take his place on death row awaiting execution, and he's set free. Would that be outrageous? That'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. Let's take it a step further. Not only have you forgiven him, and not only have you taken your son and substitute as a substitute in his place to set him free, but you're going to bring Lofner into your home and adopt him as your child, and he's going to receive all of the blessing that your son would have received, but now he's going to receive it, and he's going to receive all of the family's inheritance. What do you think? That's crazy. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. We were on death row awaiting execution. The Bible's very clear about that. Read John 3.16. We're headed for peril. He rescued us from peril. And he sent his son to die on the cross for us, to not just set us free, but to bring us into his family and call us his children. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. He got what we deserve so that we can have what he deserves. That's crazy. There is no other belief system on this planet that comes close to that. That is stunningly beautiful. And my heart has never been the same. And that's why I'm just like, I'm overwhelmed. I mean, you think I get cranked up a little bit. I kind of hold it back a bit here on Sunday mornings, man. I'm telling you, that, that is the truth that has brought so much freedom to my life that I want the world to know. It's a gift. It's a gift, and that's what transforms our life. And the reason why we're not living transformed lives is because we're not living in the reality of the gift. And that truth of the gospel has to be driven deep within our hearts. 
The gospel is not the ABCs and then you move on to something else. The gospel is the A to Z. To, that we need to begin to apply the gospel to every aspect of our life and it, it, it is revolutionary to our lives. And uh, it's just, it's amazing. Take a look at the next point on your notes. So this is a lifelong passionate pursuit. So this is what you need to understand. This is a lifelong passionate pursuit of an ongoing and growing relationship with Christ. That's what we talk about, making a commitment to Christ. There is the moment of commitment to Christ and there is the practice of commitment, which is moment by moment and lifelong. Now this is really important to get the next point. You can't have the moment without the practice but you can have the practice without the moment. Okay, you guys tracking with me on that? So I wanna, I wanna eliminate this misconception that somehow I signed the card, I walked the aisle, got dunked in the tank, tank, getting baptized, I'm in, and then you kinda live your own little life however you wanna live it. You're not a Christian. How could you call yourself a Christian? It's, it's more than just going through the motions and somehow I said the prayer. No, do you have a relationship with him? Do you interact with him regularly? If the only time that you think about him is maybe once in a while at church, and it's not much, do you know him? You're missing out on life's greatest treasure and pleasure is knowing him, commitment to Christ. The eyes of the Lord are going to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully devoted to him so they can show his power in and through their lives a dynamic relationship of this mutual sharing of, of truth and love where he speaks to you and you interact with him. There's nothing more soul-satisfying and life-liberating than to know him. It's not some kind of, kind of going through the motions. There's, you can encounter the living God of the universe. He's made that possible for us through the death of his son. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And so... I don't remember when I made the confession of faith. I don't remember that. My mom said, you know, sometime. And then I got baptized when I was 10. But I'll tell you what, to me, it is moment by moment. It's a lifelong where I've, I've ex acknowledged my sin. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and I've confessed him as savior and, and I wanna learn how to walk with him. Yeah, there's certainly, there's days, even weeks that go by, I probably don't give him much acknowledgement. That's part of my sinfulness and yet he's still there for me. He still loves me. I still keep coming back to him. I wanna grow in my relationship with him. I don't wanna just be genuine. I wanna grow and so I've gotta to continue to learn how to do that as you do too. And so there's this mutual giving and receiving of love. Do you have a relationship with him? I would invite you into this relationship with him. It is absolutely amazing. And then when you walk in that relationship, then there's this commitment to a church family. So you got commitment to Christ and then a commitment to, the, to a church family. And I wanted you to turn to Acts 2, 38-42. So this is, uh, this is really amazing because the Holy Spirit's poured out on the early church and in, in chapter 2, you see them declaring the mighty works of God. And then uh, it gathers this crowd. Peter proclaims the gospel, gives them, tells them about Jesus. Their hearts are convicted. And they say, what do we need to do? We want to be Christians. We want to know this Jesus. And Peter says in verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing you do once you make a confession of faith in Jesus, and you're beginning to live that out, is to make that public through water baptism. We do that a couple times a year here. They're great parties. We'll be doing it in a, in a, again in a couple months. We baptize anywhere from 50 to 100 folks a year. So those are great parties. And but, but even beyond that, you want to be plugged into a local church family like Desert Breeze. 
Jump to verse 42. And this is these new believers, and they devoted themselves. They were consistently diligent in the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayers. So here's the deal. This is what you need to understand. I know I do the surveys. I did it last week. How many have family and friends that uh, believe that they can be a Christian and not be connected to a local church family? And there's a lot of folks here that have family and friends that are there. And let me just say that if you think that, it's, it's either because you don't know Jesus or you don't know Jesus' word, what the Bible teaches. Let me help you to understand that here just a little bit. When you look all the way back to Genesis, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, Genesis 2.18, it said, it is not good for man to what? He wasn't talking about Mary. He's talking in general there. I mean, that, that's certainly part of that. But he's talking in general. There's an important truth here. Adam wasn't lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. This is before the fall. Our need for community with people in the God who made us is to the human spirit and soul what oxygen, water, and food are to the human body. He created us in such a way where we need, we need community with Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and community this way, both vertically and horizontally. And um, individualism is the curse of our culture, causing us to be mired in all kinds of psychological issues. We're, we're a weird bunch of people, you know what I'm saying, in, in, in America, but also around, because we don't have people close enough to say, hey, you know what, that's really weird, and you're weird. Oh, I didn't know that was so weird. Yeah, that's pretty weird. My wife does that from time to time. She goes, that's pretty weird. And I go, it is? She goes, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> and I go, thank you. Don't want to be weird. And so we're kind of weird, and we need the help to not be so weird, Okay. And, and a lot of people that are out freelancing, they're not connected to a local church family, they're pretty weird. I don't mean to be offensive, but that's just a fact. I've seen people because they don't have the people around them to hold them accountable the kind of, as you kind of work through these things. And you can't be offended when someone says that you're weird, okay? Because they're weird too, okay? It takes one to know one. And it's kind of interesting because, uh, because in this whole idea is that more than anything else, God uses people to heal people. God uses broken people to heal other broken people. We're broken. We need Jesus. Community is indispensable to human flourishing. It is not good for you to be alone. When the Bible uses the word church, ecclesia, called out ones, it uses it in New Testament 115 times, 92 times out of that 115, it's talking about local church families like Desert Breeze. This is what I'm, I'm asking you. Man, come to Jesus, get to know him, have a relationship with him, and then connect with a local church family. Whether it's this local church family or the one down the street, just be committed to him and to a local church family for your own sake, for your own health. Now here, let me give you some characteristics of what that looks like. Four levels of relational commitment. This is what health looks like. Membership, choosing to belong, Ephesians 2.19. You are no longer strangers, but members of the household of God. Christians without a local church family that they're connected to are orphans, really is what it's saying there. Here's the next one, friendship. And these are progressive, and they take you a little bit deeper into community. Friendship, learning to share, Acts 2.44. 
All who believed were together and had all things in common. This is where we're just beginning to share our lives with one another. We call them life groups here, where you begin to share your life with others. The next one is partnership, doing my part. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are God's fellow workers. So this is where you begin to give of your time, talent, and, and, and tithe, and... Um, it's just you, you get involved. You get involved with it. By the way, this church would not even be in existence if it hadn't been for the, the generosity of so many hundreds and hundreds of people who give of their time and their talent and their finances regularly. Believe me. Believe me. And I thank God for you. And I know God's powerfully working in your life and through your life as a result of that. And then the last one is kinship, loving like family. 1 John three sixteen. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So you notice this progression. So there's this fellowship that should be taking place. The fellowship of studying. I gave you the parentheses word there. The fellowship of studying. The fellowship of sharing. The fellowship of serving. The fellowship of suffering together. Now, every week I'm going to share with you some stories of how the gospel has changed people's lives here at Desert Reason. I want you to watch these stories. My name is Amy Augustine, and I've been going to Desert Breeze for about a little over a year, I believe now. I love Desert Breeze because I feel convicted every time I walk out, um, and I'm challenged every time um, I go to church. Yeah, it's, it's cha it changes me every time. I um, I married my husband in um, 1997. He is um, a wonderful man, but he is not a believer. Um, so we are unequally yoked. It's hard, um, but I understand because unless the Lord opens his eyes, I mean, he's not really going to have an understanding. I just wait on the Lord for you know, mostly. But it, yeah, it's that's one of my biggest challenges, I think, is my husband and I being un unequally yoked. I'm Eamon Murtaugh. This is my wife, Amber Murtaugh. I've been going to Desert Breeze for 14 years, and she has been coming for eight. Desert Breeze has really just changed my life. I mean, I grew up from a non-church background and coming to know Christ, and it's just a night and day difference that I can tell um, from my life before I even knew Christ to now. So, We've been married almost eight years. This guy, we got married when we were 20, um, ready for marriage, and then we got pregnant four months later. That was terrifying and great. Um, but I definitely had different expectations than what it was the first year of having Sinead, our daughter. And I definitely felt like I was a single parent. And it was just hard. I just decided, thought one day that there's kind of no point in being married anymore. I can just do this on my own. Asked him for a divorce. 
what was interesting is, you know, through our marriage turmoil when we started having a significant conflict is she was trying to explain to me the things she needed and I wasn't really able to understand her or really see where she was coming from with that. Um, through our time where we were separated, I went through some counseling. We definitely had different expectations of each other. We had different childhoods. Um, we didn't know what parenting would be like. Uh, so. We did God individually and never together as a marriage. And when it, that's just, I mean, that's just kind of how we set ourselves up for failure. And then it just took God tearing us apart to make us see, you know, hopefully it's the hardest time we had to do in our marriage, but in the end it was worth it. I think it's what saved our marriage. I was diagnosed with breast cancer on June 20th, and um, I was actually diagnosed at the Butterfly Emporium, which was quite apropos, I thought, because uh, the one thing that I knew was that the Lord makes all things new, and that's what I loved about that, is the butterfly. Um, through the whole process, through the having having the um, biopsies and, and everything like that, I remember just thinking, it's okay. It doesn't matter what happens because he has it in his hands. And I remember saying at the beginning, no matter what, this is for your glory, because I, I would love to see so many people come into the kingdom. The one thing that I keep thinking of is Psalm 18, I think 30, where it says, um, as for God, his way is perfect. And when I think of that scripture, I think that says it all. I mean, if his way is perfect and I am in having breast cancer, then it's all okay, no matter what. Whether I live, whether I die, if he's glorified in it, that's all that matters. I call it my trust in him journey because that's what it is, I'm trusting in him. Shortly after our son was born, I think about two months after he was mm -hmm. born, um, I was ill probably starting at the end of the pregnancy and was wound up being diagnosed with uh, cancer. It was really difficult for us because, you know, I went through a lot of different surgeries. You know, I knew that no matter what, I didn't think or didn't have, you know, I felt like there was a lot more that God wanted me to do. So, you know, from di being diagnosed all the way through the process, I never felt, you know, gloom and doom. I knew that, <laughs> I knew that uh, there was more for me. I knew that Christ had more planned for me. I think about like in day-to-day -day life that I have this view and this idea of what my life is going to be in the next year, in the next two years, or the future. And when you get to that point where you thought you'd be, you're like, oh wow, this is what I was praying for, this is what I was asking for. And you see what God did and it could be the exact opposite, it could be exactly what you asked for, but it's always something so much better than you imagined it to be. God knows your heart so much and just loves you enough to give you the things that you desire and care for, and even sometimes don't give you things you desire, and it just, I don't know, just makes you better. 
Without Christ, I wouldn't be who I am now. Without even the struggles in my life, I wouldn't be. Um, he has been the hero, the victor. And uh, that's what I love is no matter what, it doesn't matter what, he's my hero. I love him. I dare you to fall in love with the Lord. I dare you. I dare you. <laughs> well, I didn't even say anything. <laughs> we dare you. Good job, man. <laughs> We, we dare, dare you. you. Triple dog. <laughs>